I love the Sunday after Easter. It's uh, comprised of two groups that show up in worship, either in present or online. The, the first group is those who, this is what they do on a Sunday, they're worshiping the Lord. So welcome back. It's also comprised, though, of the group that came Easter. They don't normally attend, but, but the Lord spoke to you in some way, and you said, I've got to be back here. So whichever group you fall into, welcome to this celebration of worship. Welcome to you at home. We're glad to be able to be together as we begin a journey through a new celebration, new, new work together. Recently, uh, our team was on a leadership retreat. We sat down to enjoy a meal together, and this guy showed up at our door. <laughs> yeah, that's people running away. Actually, he seemed so friendly and so fun-loving that we just wanted to open the door and give him a, a big hug. But then uh, when we moved towards him, he kind of got spooked, and suddenly he went from being, oh, isn't he cute, bear, to don't mess with me, bear. See the fur on his back? <laughs> of his, uh, that's saying, I'm, I'm not interested in hanging out with you guys. I just had to use that in some way to tell the story. <laughs> it was just too good to pass up. Here's how I'm going to do it. When you, uh, when you read some of Apostle Paul's letters, you feel like you're listening to grouchy, don't mess with me, Paul. Uh, the book of Galatians is an example of that. Um, he starts right in, and he just rips into them from the very first. He's so upset with the Galatian church that they are being suckered by false teachers. So that was the grouchy, don't mess with me, Paul. Then there are some letters that you open that, were, that are the sweet, cuddly Apostle Paul. And this is one of those letters. When you open the book of Philippians, you meet a sweet, a tender, a gentle Apostle Paul. From the start of it, it is clear that he has deep affection for this church. I, I have called you for a long time. I've called you my sweetheart church. I love how you have loved me, and I have loved you, and I'm so grateful for you. I think the Philippians were Paul's sweetheart church, and I think that becomes clear in the first few verses of the opening of his letter to them. Philippians is one of my favorite books in the Bible, and I think it is a perfect place for us to just settle for a season, settle in for a time as we are moving out of the darkness of COVID and into the light of a glorious future that God has for us. I want us to enjoy this sweet book to Paul's sweetheart church. So let's turn to the first few verses of Philippians 1 for our introduction. Philippians chapter 1, verse 1, listen to the word of the Lord. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. If you're following along in your Bible, you realize that we, we just ended mid-sentence. And, and that's what I wanted to do, because for this introduction to Paul's letter to his sweetheart church, I want to end where the verse ends on the word that I think sums up the letter. It sums up Paul's heart towards the Philippians. And I think it's, 
It's a matter of attitude for our hearts that allow us to live victorious lives no matter what our circumstances might be. Did you see the word? What is the word? Joy. Say it together. Joy. It is such a wonderful, powerful three-letter word, joy. Joy is a dominant theme in the letter to the Philippians. It appears 16 times in some form in three little pages. More than any other book in the Bible. And it's the lion's share of all of the appearances of joy in the entire New Testament in three little pages. Verses like this that, with which I know you're familiar. Rejoice in the Lord always. What? Again I say rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again I say rejoice. This is, by the way, my go-to memory verse when I'm stressed out, Philippians chapter 4, beginning with verse 4, 4 through 9, that is my go-to passage. In fact, I would challenge you in the coming weeks to begin memorizing that passage of Scripture. It's one of the most powerful verses I know. Philippians 4, 4 through 9, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. I find it to be one of the most encouraging, uplifting, soul-soaring passages of Scripture that you can tuck away into your soul. During my own experiences, my seasons of anxiety and worry and stress, this is the verse that I, will that I trot out, and I will just repeat it out loud again and again and again. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice, even as I'm preaching to myself. Paul says joy and rejoy and rejoy. Keep joying again and again and again. It is a salve for my soul, and I think this book will be a salve for your souls as well. Preacher John Piper calls Philippians the happiest book in the Bible. And although I appreciate the sentiment of that and I get what I understand where he's going, I think we ought to start by saying this. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Joy and happiness are not the same thing. Happiness is circumstantial. It is a temporary emotion. When things are going well, when relationships are good, when health and finances and our future looks bright, we're happy. And happiness is a wonderful thing. Uh, as Bobby McFerrin once told us, don't worry, be happy. A wonderful classic song. Not that great a song, but it's certainly a great sentiment. Happiness is wonderful. But happiness is not the best thing. Joy is the best thing thing. Joy is a deeper, richer thing. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is not circumstantial. And joy need not be fleeting. Joy is grounded not in our well-being, but oftentimes in the well-being of others. It is more selfless. And it is less mercurial. Joy is less up and down. It is stable. It is enduring. It is resilient. I would define joy as inextinguishable delight and contentment. Inextinguishable delight and contentment. Joy is a bright, calm, buoyant, hope-filled attitude toward life that cannot be quenched because it derives from the joy-producing Holy Spirit of the risen Christ who lives within us. I want to preach on this book because we need more joy, don't we? 
We need more joy. We have had enough gloom. We've had enough bad news. We've had enough fear and enough sorrow. We need more joy. And we need to be a place where people walk in on a Sunday morning and they join with Nehemiah who said, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. Christian joy is a powerhouse for living because it does not depend upon circumstances. You can be in a hopeless, horrible situation and still have joy. I spoke to a woman by email today who lost her husband, still hasn't been able to bring herself to come back to church because part of her life in church was holding his hand throughout the entire service. She just can't bring herself to come back yet. And I said, take a challenge from me. Come once. Come once and see if God doesn't meet you in that experience. Even in your hopeless, despairing situation, you can still have joy. And if you are not sure about that, then wait until you hear the punchline of my sermon later on. Paul could not contain his joy as he wrote to his sweetheart Philippians. He said, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. I know how he feels. That's the way I feel about you. That's quite something to say. Every time he thought of them, every time they came to mind, he could not help but thank God for them, for these joy-filled, joyfully living, victorious Philippian Christians. I want to be that kind of a person, don't you? So let's learn a little bit more about this group called the Philippians. Who were these guys? We meet them in the book of Acts, chapter 16. All of 16 basically is devoted to the the church of Philippi. And uh, Paul has been roaring around Asia, preaching the gospel, and planting churches until suddenly the Holy Spirit jerks him up short and says, okay, we're done here for a while. I got a new place for you to go. And so he has a vision of a man who says, come over here. And he goes over there. And the there that he goes to is Europe. Europe. Philippi was the first church. It's in northern Greece. It was the first church planted in Europe. Now normally when Paul came into a town, he would go first of all to the synagogue, right? He began to preach to his fellow Jews. He would tell them, you know this Messiah that you've been talking about for hundreds of years? Well, he's come. His name is Jesus. And he's preached incredibly, and he had miraculous power, and and ultimately he was killed, but God raised him from death to life. This is the Messiah that you've been waiting for. You ought to believe in him. Normally, that's where he would start. But Philippi didn't have a synagogue. Now, why would a pretty significant city on an important road not have a synagogue? Because Philippi was what was called a Roman colony. It was like a little piece of Rome plunked down in the outskirts of the empire. And, and it, was a, it was a town full of retired Roman soldiers. So do you get an idea what that was like? It was like the whole thing was like a VFW. It was very patriotic, very tough, and definitely not very Jewish. So there was no synagogue to preach in. But there was a group of women that the, the Bible calls God-fearers. They weren't Jews, they weren't yet Christians, but they knew that there was a God who was different than the pagan gods of the Romans. 
And we are told that they met, this, this group of women was led by a remarkable businesswoman named Lydia. And they met out by the river to, to pray. I have performed baptisms in that river, in that place. And I'm telling you, it is quite moving to me to stand in that spot and know that this is where the mission to our western world began. Right there. Led by a woman named Lydia. Paul shared the gospel with Lydia. He shared it with the other women who were a part of that prayer group. And they believed in Jesus and they were baptized and the Philippian church was off and running. Every day Paul apparently went out to that same place to continue to pray and worship. And we are told now, here, here comes the drama. One day as Paul was on his way to the river, he was stopped. He was accosted by a slave girl. This girl had, a, had an evil spirit that allowed her to tell fortunes. And she was making a fortune for her owners. And, uh, and apparently she kept bugging Paul and accosting Paul to the point that finally he stopped, turned around, looked at her, and told the evil spirit to leave her in the name of Jesus. Just as Jesus had told us to do. And the spirit left her. Which did not make the slave owners very happy because now she could not tell fortunes anymore. And their revenue stream had suddenly dried up. And so the slave owners stirred up the local authorities and they got Paul and Silas arrested and beaten and thrown into the inner cell of the prison. I want to show you the picture of the traditional side of Paul's prison. It's probably not historical, I have to tell you. But it really didn't matter to me when I stood there to realize that somewhere near that spot one of the most remarkable stories in the New Testament transpired. So I want to turn to our, the rest of our text for today, which comes out of Acts chapter 16, beginning with verse 25. Listen to this remarkable story. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in. And trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his household. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Notice that? He washes them, and they wash him. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. I think this is one of the most inspiring stories in the New Testament. These men, wrongfully arrested, beaten with rods, if you can imagine. It's been described by someone who endured this as having a red-hot metal grate laid across your back. 
beaten with rods. They are now sitting at, at midnight in, in the inner cell of the prison. Their backs are on fire. Their legs are in chains. And what are they doing? They're singing hymns and pray, praying to the Lord. Singing hymns. I guarantee you these were not the sounds that normally came out of that part of the prison. The other prisoners were listening to their songs of joy. The jailer was listening to their songs of joy. And when God blew open those prison doors with a miraculous earthquake and set them loose, Paul, rather than running, used that as a moment to tell this guard about the love of Christ, and he was baptized along with his entire family. And that was the start of the European church. Lydia and her little family being baptized. Paul and his, uh, the, the, the jailer and his little family being baptized. It's kind of like our Port Orchard Church. A handful of joyful Christians starting a new work in a new place. And I think the jailer summed up the, the entirety of that, of that passage of scripture. When he, when he said, we are told, he rejoiced along with the entire household that he had believed in God. He rejoiced. He rejoined. The Philippian church was born in a jail cell that is filled with joy. And here's my point. Here's what drives something home, I hope. Ironically, the joy-filled Philippian letter was written from a jail cell. Did you know that? Paul wrote Philippians from prison. It's one of what we call the prison epistles. He was probably in prison in Rome. He was on trial for his life. And any moment he expected to be taken away to the chopping block. Now wrap your mind around that. This joyful letter to the Philippians, more joy-filled than any other Pauline epistles, was written from death row. Think about that for a moment. Joy on trial. Joy on death row. Joy facing the chopping block. Joy no matter what. That's the great gift of this letter in my mind. Philippians is proof that joy is very different from happiness. Happiness is circumstantial. If things are well, you can be happy. Things were not well for Paul. He expected to have his head chopped off at any moment. And yet he could still say, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This has been a challenging year for all of us. There's been plenty to be sad about. There's been plenty that has been hard and even painful. And thank God it seems that circumstances are beginning to turn, aren't they? Thank God infections are beginning to drop and businesses are starting to open and vaccines are starting to kick in. Who knows, maybe someday we'll be able to go to church without masks on. Woohoo! Well, that'd be great. Yeah, I knew I'd get applause for that one. Things are improving. But here's the point. Even if they don't. Even if they don't. Even if we were to have a setback tomorrow, some announcement, we are called to live in joy. In fact, it is a command. It is an imperative in the Greek. 
Philippians commands us to rejoy, rejoy, rejoy again and again and again. And that is not possible if joy is just an emotion. But if joy is a gift from God, a gift to be received, a gift to be believed, a gift to be declared, a gift that does not depend upon our good circumstances, but rather upon our good God, then there is no reason that we Easter people ought not to live in joy, in inextinguishable delight and contentment. And that's why we are going to study what we're going to be studying in the, in the weeks to come, how to live a joy-filled, inextinguishably delighted life no matter what. And Rabbi Paul, on death row, will teach us how to do that. And so what is the starting point for us in this deepening journey of joy. How about verse 3? Paul writes, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. How does Paul find joy even in his life-threatening circumstances? Through gratitude. You see that? Gratitude. He was intentionally, repeatedly grateful. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you. Paul's prayers were prayers of thanksgiving. There were plenty of negative things that he could have focused on. He was sitting in a prison cell. He had an abusive jailer. He had an impending neck shave with a very sharp sword. But Paul chose to live in gratitude. To look for and to recall and to recount the many, 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 many things for which he was grateful from God. Thanksgiving is the accelerant for the fire of joy. It's like throwing gasoline on the embers. It causes joy to spring to life. So here's my challenge for you in this coming week, besides memorizing Philippians 4, 4 through 9. I'm serious about that. Write it down. Philippians 4, 4 through 9. Here's my challenge for you for this week. Pray nothing but thanksgiving this week. Pray nothing but thanksgiving. Practice being grateful. Don't ask God for a single thing. Just thank him for everything he's already given you. Maybe set it as a reminder on your watch or on your phone. And every time you hear that alarm, pause for a moment and offer up a torrent of thanks to our gracious giving God. For one week, don't ask God for anything. Just thank him for everything you already have. And see what that does to the embers of joy in your heart. Rejoice in the Lord Always, again I will say, rejoice. And so we thank you, God. We thank you for every good thing which comes from your hand. All that we can so easily take for granted. The people we love. The wealth we enjoy. The home that cares for us. The country that protects us. The freedom to worship you without fear. Friendships that are meaningful. A career or avocation that gives us purpose. The fact that we are breathing one more day. That we, are, that we were able to make our way to this place. 
All of these things are a, a gift from your kind hand. And so, Lord, we thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for every good thing. We declare that in gratitude we will live lives of joy. Maybe not always happiness, but be a, because we are mindful of your good provision, your embarrassingly generous grace, we will live in joy. We will re-joy again and again. And we will do so because of the Spirit of the risen Christ who lives within us and empowers us to do this. We pray these things in His name. Scancy Avenue, Gig Harbor, Washington, 98335. Our worship services are Sundays at 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30 a.m. We'd love to meet you. To learn more about Chapel Hill and find out about upcoming events, visit us online at chapelhillpc.org.